Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows, Getting Dirty and Growing Strong with Kimberly Searle and Tanya Drew. As integrative sustainable movement educators and health advocates, our goal is to provide you with evidence-based information gathered from research, experts in the field, and our personal and professional experience to help you advocate for your own health and wellness. Our mission is to collaboratively navigate the thick, muddy waters of life to empower, accept, and cultivate our most authentic selves. Hi, Courageitarians. Welcome back. Today, we have a review on Facebook from Nikki Highland, and she recommends Where the Lotus Grows with five stars. She writes wonderful teachings from Tanya and Kim. Expand your mind while you dig deep into the dirt that helps us all grow and thrive. Thank you, Nikki Highland. Oh, thank you, Nikki. I am going to disclose at the beginning of our episode today, baby Jessa is going to be in the background chattering. I hope it doesn't bother anyone, um, but there's there's no avoiding it today's episode. <laughs> so hopefully you find baby chatter endearing and not annoying. Today's topic, I'm actually kind of excited about. Um, <clears throat> is the power of story. And before we get into it, I just want to start with a little Buddha-themed myth that goes a little something like this. A man said to Buddha, I want happiness, to which Buddha replied, first remove I, for it is the ego, and then remove want, for it is desire, and you're left with happiness. So I did a little research. It's not actually a, a Buddha quote. Um, but it's a nice little parable that kind of defines our attachment to story and the Buddhist practice of detaching from it. Um, The stories that we tell ourselves are most often ego and desire driven. So the I and the want often from a place of lack. So something that you don't have and usually subconscious, which means that we don't even think about them as stories. They just are, the way that they are. These stories can be both good when it's derived from a healthy belief or as open and flexible mindset or bad when we get into self-limiting or rigid beliefs. But when we get stuck in story, um, I feel like that's where it can truly be ugly. So when I say that, I want you to think like, this is just how I am. I am always blank. Or someone or something made me blank. Um, I am blank because blank made me that way. Or even like I want whatever it is. So for me, um, the this is just how I am is something that I've heard from. It's, it's not a narrative that I subscribe to, but it's something that I've heard a lot from friends and family members of mine and additionally um but ones that I have subscribed to is maybe you know I am my mother's child (laughs) so (laughs) I behave a certain way because she made me behave that way or um you know the history of alcoholism in my family so there's been there was a period in my life when I was younger where I was just like oh well I'm destined to be this because 
because it's there, because it's ingrained in my DNA. Um, so when I was considering today's topic, I thought about the phrase, because I thought about this from all different angles, story can be good, it can be bad. The phrase, the good, bad, and the ugly kind of stuck out as a describer of how we use story in our lives. And today I want to look at, as we look at the power of story, I want to look at it kind of the opposite instead of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want to look at the bad and the ugly first so that we can get to the good in our stories and recognize, um, recognize the bad and, and bring the ugly into consciousness. Do you have any narratives, Kim, where, like, we all have story, but can you think of one off the top of your head that you'd want to share? Well, it's interesting because a group of us in the studio were just kind of talking about um, the mind a little bit before one of the sessions. And, you know, the brain is always fighting to be right. And so it kind of makes up um, stories to fill in the cracks. For example, have you ever looked at maybe a picture of something and then there's also some words written about the picture? And sometimes when you see both of those things, do you even read the statement underneath or do you think you kind of like already know what it is? And so you kind of just make up a story and insert it in there. And then you catch yourself that you really actually didn't read. So you have to stop and actually read what was there. And so I think the same thing happens uh, with our defaults. Um, you know, I, I have heard people as well use the thing, well, this is how I am and you can just take it or leave it. Like, like there's no ability to change. To me, in my mindset, in my lens, that becomes a really um, rigid uh, way to think, a, a narrowing or limiting belief, because I think we all have the ability to adapt and change if we want. But um, when the mind is really rigid, it appears as though the mind is concrete. And, you know, then I wonder, well, is it even worth discussing at that point if that person is so um, grounded um, and, you know, boxed into that one belief system? Like I notice sometimes if someone gives me directions to complete a task that I will build my own personal box around what I think that request is. Yet the person who requested the task to be completed didn't necessarily give me those rules to follow. So I, you know, added in additional rules that I needed um, to have there. And I'm sure that the reason that I did that was to, um, you know, kind of cement in a limiting belief that I have that I'm struggling with. Um, one of the one of the default stories that I always go to is everything's great, right? It, it, it's never been this way before, right? right? Like, like everything was yeah. just 100% fine. And now, it, it really, that's not true. I'm sure there were signs before because nothing's ever 100% fine. But I think that goes along with kind of my female suffering and perfectionism and good girl syndrome that, you know, I all deal with. Right. That reminds me of the meme where it's like the little dog is like, everything's fine and the house is on fire all around him. Yes. <laughs> it's like, everything's fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's very true that it can, um, it can 
that's a, a story that we, we, we tell ourselves often too, that seems like a positive story, right? And it's really negative because we're not recognizing the other stuff that's going on. Or, or really um, checking in, I think, with how we're feeling, you know? Right. Oh, ab- absolutely. So to, to attack kind of the, the ugly first when it comes to story, I, I first I, I want to address, I like the idea of looking at the picture first and just assessing it before you even read the descriptor to, <laughs> to see, <laughs> because I think that that's a, a really great um, example of even how we use story ourselves right? We, we see something a certain way and we may not look at any of the context around it. Um, so when looking at starting with the ugly, I felt like when I was identifying this, that the ugly are really like the scripts and the roles that are played without considering, um, why, you know, there, it's just like, it, it is the, this is just how I am kind of thing. But the scripts and the roles, maybe even a tendency towards codependency or um, feeding our emotional addictions, like those for chaos or victimhood or anger, um, come from things that were kind of handed to us. They're really subconscious and they're stuff that, that we were given as children. You know, our role in the family, like as a peacemaker, for example isn't something that we wrote for ourselves. You know, we could be handed the script (laughs) and that's (laughs) just, you know, we just rolled with it because that's what it took to fit in, into the family. Or, uh, even that's what you needed to survive with the family. Right. Yeah. And, or even like codependency. Like I, I, I think it takes a lot of self work to look at things before you even realize what that means and whether you are <laughs> in, in a codependency um, or if you're attracted to, if you have an emotional addiction to like chaos or victimhood, I think you, you don't even recognize these stories until you take a, a look at yourself. Um, and then finally, one of the other ugly stories that I like is the postponing happiness or other emotions. So I'll be, happy when I have money or, you know, when I lose 30 pounds or whatever it is, postponing happiness or postponing, um, joy or, you know, anything else because you can't have it right now (laughs) because for whatever reason, the story that you've made up. Um, and then there's the bad, which, which fits in with the ugly, but I think the ugly is more general, broad, um, to me, like the, the things that you are kind of subconscious and then the bad of story for me was just the, the stuff that we kind of know that we do, but we choose to overlook it. You know what I mean? Or maybe it's just a bad habit, like negative self-talk or a distorted sense of self-image, you know, like thinking, you know. I'm fat or I'm ugly or whatever the things are that you think and things that you would never say to your friend, but we say to ourselves all the time. Um, 
And even self-aggrandizing or poor self-image that is maybe in the opposite direction. Um, you know, thinking somebody who's really, really attached to ego in a, in a way that is negative. So it's not really a high self-esteem. It's more of a high um, self-aggrandizing, you know, more like somebody that would be ego tripping, I think, you know, just thinks maybe a little too highly of themselves. I don't like, like more to the narcissistic level. Is that what yes. you're getting at? Yeah. Um, versus, you know, like, like they're kind of delusional in the opposite direction. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to say somebody that always says I'm great or I'm awesome because I think we should say to ourselves, you know, I'm great and I'm awesome and I'm worthy. Um, but I think people that are entitled, you know, I'm, I'm more worthy than the next guy, I think, is where it can be negative, where it can be a bad story, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, it, what do you think of ugly and bad uh, stories, forms of story? Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I can see me in all of those, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think... Um, the ugly and the bad are oftentimes my knee jerks. Mm-hmm. And I think it's getting to understand what your knee jerk is. And I'm more often able to internally recognize my knee jerk and then redirect how I want to respond. I mean, sometimes I still get, you know, right down into the nitty gritty of it. It takes me way longer than I would like to come out of it. But, um, you know, I can see myself in all of those. I think you and I had even talked about, um, you know, sometimes we have this this loaded gun of what has happened in our DNA, so epigenetics, um, and then what is learned behavior through our childhood um, mm-hmm. based on things. And so, you know, you are looking at th- those things happened when you were a child, but now it's our responsibility as an adult to learn different tools that perhaps may help us um, grow more. Right. No, I, I like that. Um, the So story in itself, we all tell them, right? We all have mm-hmm. a narrative. Um, so I covered the kind of the, the ugly and the bad. So there's also good. So there's the, per- we tell ourselves good stories. We do do that. Like even with minimal desire, you know what I mean? To, um, there are good things that come too. And so I don't want to just focus all on the ugly and the bad, even though part of what I want to talk about today is how to uh, let go of the the ugly and the bad. The good is like projecting who we want to be, uh, positive affirmations, kind of believing in the law of attraction. So that helps you to um, put good things out there. And I want to address the importance of spending some time with the good as well, if not just glossing over this. So assuming that you have some good stories and maybe even a strong sense of self in some areas, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't look a little deeper at that too. So when we talk about identifying your stories and observing and and, um, getting into why you have these stories and where they came from in the first place, I think it's really important to look at the good stories too, to look at 
your virtues, your morals, your maybe you're a very resilient person. And those are those are the good stories that you tell yourself. But I, I think it's important to not just be like, oh, well, those are good stories. So I don't need to to dive deeper into them. I think it's important to look at those two, if only to express gratitude for that part of your story. You know, you can thank yourself and or the person who enabled the good qualities in you. Um, and you can remember too that somebody that enabled good qualities in you, it might not be because they were a good person. <laughs> they might have enabled a good story or good morals and values because they behave poorly and you decided to not be that. So I think it's um, just as important as it is to look into story and see the negative, the bad and the uglies. Um, I think it's important to look at the good too and, and give recognition and gratitude um, to those parts of yourself as well. Because well. even though our tendency, I think, for a lot of people is kind of negative self-talk, I think we can all look at ourselves and be like, oh, well, I'm you know, I, I'm a resilient person or I'm a very honest person or I'm a very compassionate person. I have some morals and values that um, are the good part of my story. Yeah, when I work with clients, um, it is sometimes very difficult for people to even find the good story mm-hmm. because the ugly and the bad, you know, have been played so much that they often have to think harder. Mm-hmm. But the good stories can help us hone in maybe habits that we're uh, looking for and success stories that will help us um, replace some of the ugly and bad. I think it's also important, you know, when you're having conversations with your friends and your colleagues to remember that the story that they're sharing at the time is their their lens, their experience. Mm-hmm. And the conversation and the growth can be improved if we ask questions. So curiosity questions to kind of probe into, is that really a truth or just movement that's happening in the mind? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So when I, when I thought about what ways our stories are good, bad, and ugly, and then what ways we can um, identify story I think that's a really good point because practicing observing your thoughts and then noticing (laughs) is like the first step, noticing what what those stories are because we just kind of fall into them. Right. Maybe don't even realize that it's a story. (laughs) You know, I knew that this call was coming up. And at the time I was reading this book called um, Call Them By Their True Names by Mm -hmm. uh, Rebecca Slollant. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were two passages in there, but I wanted to share. Uh, One was, the only power adequate to stop tyranny and destruction is civil society, which is the great majority of us when we remember our power and come together. The job begins with opposition to specific instances of destruction, but it is not ended until we have made deep systematic changes and recommitted ourselves, not just as a revolution, because revolutions don't last, but as a civil society with values of equality, democracy, inclusion, and full participation. So a radical unity plus compassion, and this work is always first and last, storytelling work. Mm 
or what comes of my friends call the battle of the story, building, remembering, retelling, celebrating our own stories as part of our work. And I thought that was really powerful because we do get into these stories. And sometimes I think, you know, we don't really um, explore the opposites to because somewhere in the middle of that story lies the truth and not everybody's perception is going to be the same. And so if we continue to retell and to re to explore and get people's different perspectives, perhaps that gives us more unity and compassion and, and that civility to actually move something forward. And the other thing that um, she was talking about um, is hope. And I think oftentimes um, we kind of forget about hope uh, mm-hmm. there. And so she talks about um, optimism and pe- pessimism, uh, pessimism as part of that. Mm-hmm. And um, she says, I, uh, I still use the term because it navigates a way forward between the false certainties of optimism and of pessimism and the compliancy of passivity that goes with both. Optimism assumes that we will go well without our effort. Pessimism assumes it's all irredeemable. Both let us stay home and do nothing. Hope for me has meant a sense that the future is unpredictable and that we don't actually know what will happen, but know we may be able to write it ourselves. Hope is a belief that what we do might matter and understanding that the future is not yet written. It's an informed astute open-mindedness about what can happen and what role we play in it. Hope looks forward, but draws its energy from the past, from knowing histories, including our victories and the complexities and imperfections. It means not feet, not fed, uh, not fetishizing the perfect. That is the enemy of the good, not snatching defeat from the jaws of victory not assuming you know what will happen when the future is unwritten and part of what happens is up to us. Wow, that kind of gave me goosebumps. That's yeah. really beautiful. I, I like the premise of that a lot as far as considering that, you know, optimism and pessimism both allow you to be... Um, passive and hopeful really means that you're you're in it you know you're doing something about it I never really thought of it that way that's that's really powerful Um, thank you we'll, we'll have to put that in the show notes additionally um the idea that both are true um, you know, that, uh, there's good and bad and that both are probably true when it comes to story, you know, and that, um, everyone's input is kind of from their perspective. Um, when I was considering practices that I use to help people and to help myself with story work one of the practices is um, yoga nedra in particular, I rest, which is Richard Miller's work. Um, 
he addresses opposites a lot and feeling opposites and sitting with opposites. <laughs> he also addresses um, observation, which is something that in the beginning, the little Buddha-ish story illustrates observation and sitting with the self and kind of being separate from your story, right? So I am not my emotion. I'm the person who experiences emotion, for example. You know, I'm, I'm not my body. <laughs> I am the person who I am aware of this body. <laughs> I'm not pain. I'm the person who's aware of this pain. And I just, I find that, you know, to be a hopeful tool for kind of discovering that narrative or self-inquiry. So I went to a yoga retreat once or a workshop that was run by the musician Steve Gold. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I really like his music. Um but he did a mantras for manifestation workshop at a studio that I was at once. And he said, um, one of the quotes that I took away, and I don't know if it was his quote or not, but I'm going to attribute it to him because it was at his workshop that I got it from. <laughs> he said, we, we lie to ourselves in the negative often. And so his philosophy on this was we lie to ourselves in the negative often. So why not lie to ourselves in the positive? <laughs> like if we're going to lie about, um, lie to ourselves, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not, you know, all of the, all of the stories that I kind of discussed in the beginning, as far as, you know, maybe I need blank to get blank or I'm, you know, fat or ugly or whatever it is. Um, if we're going to lie to ourselves in the negative, why not reverse that? Because you know that it's not true. Deep down, we know that it's not true. Why not lie to yourself in the positive? Not that it's not true, but if you're going to tell yourself a story, why not tell yourself the opposite story? I guess is what I mean. <laughs> right. And we often pick that negative. I know I rest um, Yoga Nidra is really helpful for me. Uh, doing the opposites mm -hmm. because I don't like to go to the dark and mm -hmm. I want to try to just live in the uh, good and only think happy thoughts. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a way for me to safely go and explore um, the dark because, you know, we're, we're complex creatures, you know, but hope and anguish are both true. They both coexist. Mm -hmm. um, they're both in our movements, you know, physical movements, emotional movements, you know, thoughts of the mind, all of it's there. Absolutely. And I have also found that like when working with clients um, and using IRS informed practices of yoga nedra and moving through opposites and that kind of thing, I think it can be hard I think the opposite can also be true of just what you said. Like you want to think all the good stuff. So you don't want to dig into the dirty stuff. I think for somebody that might be depressed, sometimes it's hard for them to identify with joy or with gratitude um, because they're in a negative space. So when you're severely depressed and I tell you to cultivate a feeling of gratitude, you're like, nah, 
you can't really. Um, but if at first you're allowed to think about the opposite of that or to think about the opposite of joy um, and you cultivate that first and then because that's already there, that's maybe a little bit more accessible then it might be easier to then see the joy or see the gratitude or see the more positive emotion because you were given permission to feel the negative one first, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think that it can work both ways. Um, and I think because both exist, right? Everything, <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all there. So when you have the thoughts you need to practice identifying first what your what your story is. So identifying story can be very difficult, but you can practice observing your thoughts, maybe through meditation and getting quiet or just listening to yourself, talk to others. And I think that that might even touch a little bit on a future episode. I think probably our next episode, we're going to discuss nonviolent communication. Um. But in order to know whether or not you speak violently, (laughs) you have to identify (laughs) that first, right? So that's helpful. It's something that you start to notice if you start to practice something like nonviolent communication. You really start to observe all the ways in which when you're talking to other people, you speak violently. (laughs) And I know we'll delve deeper into that at um, another episode. But Something as simple as, so um, our friend Mary Richards always said, you know, to feed two birds with one seed instead of killing two birds with one stone. It's just an example of a violent communication um, and a nonviolent option. And I always liked that and I always switched that up. But when you start to notice how we talk in those violent manners to other people, then you can also recognize it in yourself and the things that you say about yourself. Um, and so when you have those thoughts, pause and ask yourself if they're true, if they serve you, and where they might have come from. So just noticing and recognizing can be a really arduous task. Um, and it's going to take some introspection. It's going to take getting quiet. And it might even take some journaling or some, you know, just kind of dumping your thoughts out on paper. But it's worth it to, to change the behavior. Like it's the first step to change the, the negative sides of story. So other practices, narrative or self-inquiry. So the really two of the most powerful words that you can uh, kind of meditate on are the, the words I am. So constant attention on inner awareness. This is a practice um, that for me seemed, it was recommended. Um, it's kind of a philosophy that's known to be recommended by the Maharishi, which is just the constant attention on inner awareness and self-inquiry. So thinking about I am is allows you to let go of I, not I am something else, just I am. And focus on that starts to dissolve big I and the ego. And it just helps you to, to kind of become one 
So I am, you are, it just, we all are (laughs) kind of practice. And then another um, recommendation for getting into story is insight dialogue, which is like a partner practice. There's a really great book. I believe it's Gregory Kramer um, wrote a book about insight dialogue. It's something that yoga therapy is a tool that yoga therapists use often um, to get into inquiry and to get into story, but only to get into story for self-discovery purposes, not to get into story to ruminate there and be like, this is just how I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, are there other practices that you use for self-discovery and kind of changing narratives that are negative? Uh, Nidra is great uh, for me. I do use a lot of insight dialogue and um, journaling. You know, five minutes print journals on uh, a particular exploration. Nice. Well, my point uh, in story is that we all have the ability to rewrite our old scripts. And so if there's a take-home opinion for this episode, uh, I, I really think that it's that we have the ability to rewrite old scripts, to start new chapters, and to write new endings to our story. So we have the agency if we're, if we're willing to do the work instead of just settling into this is just how I am. So my favorite all-time quotes and one of my favorite things that I like to think about a lot because I've always been drawn to his work is uh, some quotes by Viktor Frankl. There's two quotes that I have that are my favorite. And for those who don't know who Viktor Frankl is, um, he's a great example of uh, agency and the ability to uh, change yourself. So he was, I believe, a psychologist um, who was in the Nazi concentration camps in Germany. And he, one of my favorite quotes is, everything can be taken from man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way, one's own way. So he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And that quote, just that everything can be taken from you except your ability to choose your attitude and your circumstance super powerful. And then my second favorite quote, which is probably really my first favorite quote, because I have it. It's one of the few that I kind of plaster everywhere. Um, Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So when we recognize our narratives as stories, we have the tremendous power to heal because we can choose, we can make changes, we can rewrite the scripts, rewrite the stories, and hopefully that has a positive ripple effect on everyone around us. Very powerful. I also wanted to give a shout out. We talked about this or I sent you a, a link 
a good a good follow on Instagram. <laughs> um, a shout out as we were working on this episode, it just popped up. So Dr. Nicole LaPera is the holistic psychologist on Instagram, and she did a post on story and the story, how to get out of story and how to change or rewrite your story. And some of the negative things that we tell ourselves. And I shared that with you, Kim. <laughs> and I was like, hey, look, it's in the universe. <laughs> yes. And I've been following her. She has great, um, great things on Instagram. You know, just those quick little reminders in the day that you just get a glimpse of that you're mm-hmm. like, yes, you know, that kind of pulls you back. Yeah. No, I think she is really awesome. And she is doing vital work. And somebody who kind of flipped the script, she's comes at it from a different perspective. She comes from the, from the psychologist's perspective into exactly what we're kind of all about is that the mind and the body are all one and that it all works together. And each individual has to kind of integrate both of those things. They're not two separate uh, forms of medicine or two separate practices. It's all one thing. And I love that she comes at it from that angle. Cause I feel like as yoga therapists, that's where we come at it too. That mind and body are one mind, body, and spirit are one. Uh, yes. It reinforces connected. our philosophy of integrative health. Right. Yeah. Any other thoughts on story, Kim? I love your shares today. I'm going to have to read that <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've read three of her books, so I'm a big you know fan of hers. Um, and it, she always has research um, that backs up her essays and they're short. They're, the books aren't that big, so they fit in my book nicely. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a continual exploration of, um, of your story. And is the story that you're telling yourself really leading you to your ideal self? Does it represent your best self for your greater good? And if it doesn't, um, maybe you're ready to explore that story a little deeper. Mm, Awesome point, Kim. Well, that is a wrap for today's episode, guys. We want to know more about you and your stories. So if you'd like to share with us on Facebook or Instagram or any other, even if you want to shoot us an email at info where the Lotus grows, we'd love to hear your stories about stories and how you're changing or rewriting your story for the better. Additionally, information about some of the things that we talked about today, um, Insight Dialogue, IRAS, Yoga Nedra, um, call them by their true names, or even Steve Gold's music on iTunes are all going to be available on our website, wherethelotusgrows.com. And we hope that you'll give us a visit and let us know how this uh, episode impacted you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Where the Lotus Grows. Join us in further conversations. We believe that you bring valuable knowledge to this community. You can find us at wherethelotusgrows.com, Where the Lotus Grows on Instagram and Facebook, or Twitter, Where the Lotus G1, because we were not on top of that one. Remember that though we are professionals in our field, the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended to treat or diagnose. Please seek the guidance of a medical, integrative health, bodywork, or yoga therapy professional for a full evaluation. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate us on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform.